0: still no baby welcome to atomic moms a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves i'm ellie Noss, and each week we celebrate and commiserate with best-selling authors parenting experts and moms around the world okay everybody i'm a little more than tw- uh, 38 weeks pregnant um still no baby which is totally normal Uh, except that I've been basically under house arrest since uh, April, I think. Um, I have an irritable uterus, and I also had a positive FFN test, so I've not been allowed to exercise or lift anything. I'm supposed to be, like, laying around in bed, uh, which obviously doesn't happen when you have an almost four-year-old. But anyway, uh, still no baby. Maybe it's because she's going to be one of those kids that's like super cozy and just wants to cuddle and be with mommy. Uh, maybe because uh, the daughter I have, we <laughs> we went to swim class yesterday. A few doors down, our neighbor is hosting a swim class. And uh, it was so great because the instructor, it was the first day and Sabrina just starts swimming towards them in her little Supergirl swimsuit, which has uh, a red tutu, and he was just like, "Where did this kid come from? Like, they need to make Sabrina action figures." I was like, "Yup." And so the cool thing is, the her new instructor was actually the teacher of our guest today, Selena, who Sabrina has done two swim sessions with, and who has taught her everything she knows, and is a wonderful. Uh, instructor and mama, and I'm really excited to share this episode with you all. The first half of the episode is about swimming and you know life saving tips. She's definitely uh, challenged my thinking about safety around water. And the second half of the episode is it's it's like a really personal mom talk. She lost about a hundred pounds and. Uh, And we talk about, you know, it's like a classic Atomic Moms episode where we learn so much more about her and how she ticks and how she's become the inspirational woman that she is today. So first I want to do a quick check-in. Let's see. I went to the chiropractor yesterday. Uh, Not just any, Dr. Berlin, who everyone in Los Angeles, who's a mother, knows about Dr. Berlin. So he cracked my neck. I'm always afraid my head's going to roll off. He did some massage that got quite intimate. It's funny that all modesty falls away when you're about to have a baby because it's sort of like, what is the point? I'm about to be groaning and moaning and half naked in a hospital room anyway. So yeah, get up in there. <laughs> it was so painful though. And oh, one piece of advice he had that was so fantastic. He said to smile, which some moms just probably like choked. They're like, yeah, right. But when he was like really digging in deep and I smiled, it actually did make me feel a little better. And he also said to say yes. And so I'd be like, oh, and then i go, yes. <laughs> Parenting is just torture start to finish, isn't it? Uh, what else? Oh, my daughter kind of has the sniffles. My husband has the sniffles. I have the sniffles. This, um, this baby's going to have a great immune system. <laughs> my longtime listeners know I'm a total hypochondriac, so I think I deserve a pat on the back for trying to, like, you know, make that more positive. Um, oh, also, I went to the acupuncturist at Dr. Berlin. And because my baby's sunny side up, which is maybe why she hasn't come down yet. So when you're sunny side up, it means that your head is down, which is great, but she's faced forward. And so the acupuncturist actually started burning mugwort incense (laughs) in this little room. He was like smoking me out with mugwort and he was burning the incense while close to my pinky toe that he was pinching. And I was like, this is, I am having an LA baby. Oh man. So hopefully that worked. (laughs) We will see soon. Uh, I also want to thank a listener in Miami, Kiki, because last week's episode was uh, Waiting for the Baby. It was like the baby waiting game episode with my husband, Adam, and we mentioned that we have honey oozing out of our master bedroom walls. I think it's because right before we moved in, we had to tent the house for termites. Anyway, there are no bees, but there is honey. Uh, dripping out of the walls, and I asked if we needed to fix it. And because you moms are the best resource on the planet, Kiki kindly messaged me. This is so great. She said, I hope I'm not interrupting your labor and delivery with this message. (laughs) Anyway, I wanted to let you know what to do about your honey oozing walls. Her husband is a nuisance wildlife trapper in Miami. And so she says that he used to do a lot of bee jobs when he was first starting up his business. Um, And this is really sweet. She writes, he actually purchased my engagement ring with the proceeds from taking a bunch of extra hive removal jobs. And he jokes that every sparkle of my ring is from a bee sting to his face. (laughs) And she writes, now that's true love, right? And so she says, so he says that, yes, you should tear out the wall and remove the hive. He says the dead bees and honey will ferment in there and stink and other (laughs) insects and things will be attracted to the honey, and eventually you'll have worms crawling out of your walls. Uh, And then she says, I'm pretty sure the last thing a nursing mom needs to see at 2 a.m. is freaking worms crawling out of the walls. So he says you need to have someone open up the wall, remove the hive, find where the bees are coming from, and seal that up, and close the wall back up. Good as new.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Great. Thanks, Kiki. I'm super appreciative, actually, because when people come out to check on it, I don't know if they're just trying (laughs) Um, I'm always paranoid that people are trying to rip me off, and I obviously don't have to open my wall up if I don't have to and I trust uh I trust you all with all my heart. and um, I know Kiki wouldn't steer me in the wrong direction. Um, so thank you for that. Um, another I got another note from last week's podcast, and it's from my mom friend Annie, who is uh, I mean the only person I can compare her to. I guess, like Ina Garden or Martha Stewart, but she's young and hip, and uh, I'm going to have her on the podcast uh, as soon as she's not too busy, you know, doing photo shoots for Domino Magazine. I haven't asked her. I'm going to ask her right now. Annie, will you be on the podcast? So she had some notes for me <laughs> on this week. <laughs> she's a great, like, note person. Like, she, she's pretty honest. She says, number one, I don't know you to be anxious about texts. That is true. I, I'm not anxious with my text with Annie uh, because she's a riot and she's just a character so it's like a fun back and forth and th- it's not like – I get anxious about text messaging I think when either there's logistics involved um, or I'm afraid I'm going to be misinterpreted and usually when I'm texting Annie, she knows I'm just being a smartass. Then she says, number two, Adam shouldn't publicly brag about his interior design skills and then she put in parentheses, which I doubt <laughs> – And then she says also that shelving system is an investment because time is money and organizational systems will save you time, to which I wrote back, yes, um, time is money and this system will save me time, but now I need to start making money with that time I've saved. So listeners, if you have any ideas, (laughs) I'm all ears. I am looking forward to revamping AtomicMoms.com. I'm trying to figure out how... These podcasts are such a great resource and I'm trying to figure out how to best organize them so that you guys can get what you need um, at the different stages of mothering. I'd also like to know, like, what is a problem you need solving and how can I make a buck off that? No, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) But what is a problem you need solving and we can address it with the show. Uh, What else? Oh, I have a a book for you to add to your 3 a.m. insomnia reading list. I am reading Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom by Christian Northrup. She was on Oprah like 10 years ago. I am loving it. And uh, here's a quote from it. We must learn to trust that the symptoms in the body are often the only way that the soul can get our attention. So chew on that one. I think I'm going to order a hard copy and leave it out um, on the coffee table for when my mom comes to visit when we have the baby because it will rile her up. I love it. She's a hardcore lawyer, and um, I think just the phrase, we must learn to trust the symptoms in the body are often the only way that the soul can get our attention. (laughs) I think that would really get her goat. But I'm really looking forward to all of the grandparents coming out in the next month and a half, and I know Sabrina is too, I think it'll be a good time. Or there'll be a lot of drama. Either way, it'll be great podcast material. I also want to play a baby game with you guys. What do you think we're going to name this little girl? Email AtomicMomsPodcast at gmail.com. AtomicMomsPodcast at gmail.com with what you think I'm going to name Sabrina's baby sister. And if you guess right... I'll give you a call on an upcoming episode. I wanted to do this through our Instagram or Facebook, and I've been having so much fun uh, with all the comments on Facebook and Instagram. Um, but then I'm thinking like, oh, one person might say the name, and then I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, that's it. So instead, you know, please comment away on those, but uh, send me the name uh, on a time mom's podcast at Gmail. Wouldn't it be funny if I was just really lazy and I hadn't picked a name, but I was trying to get you guys to come up with it for me, <laughs> so today's episode is with Selena Willows. She is uh, amazing. So enjoy this preamble uh, from the from when I first recorded this uh, during Oscars. Uh, it was like right after the Academy Awards, and uh, listen to it. It's very heartfelt. Adam's so funny. He was like, "Yeah, you play a really great character on Atomic Moms." <laughs> like. Thanks, babe. Um, it's not a character. I mean it. Uh, I think I'm probably my better self on Atomic bombs. Anyway, enjoy the heartfelt preamble, or you can fast forward to the conversation. You know, it's your life. I was going to say love you guys, but there's some new listeners that I don't know yet, so we're not there yet. But um, <laughs> I really appreciate all of your company, and um, to all of those of you... Too. <laughs> One day I'll learn English, probably not while this baby's still in my stomach. To all of you who have reached out, wishing us luck with this uh, this next chapter, uh, I really appreciate it. Okay, uh, I'll be right back with this episode with Selena Willows. Hi, everybody. Oh boy, Uh, I held off on doing this intro uh, because I thought I'd have my voice back, but I don't. Um, And that's okay. I'm glad I held off because I have something I want to talk to you guys about. Did you guys stay up for the Oscars Sunday night? Um, Even if you didn't, you must have seen what happened when Best Picture was announced. You know, in our December episode of Atomic Moms uh, with my husband, we mentioned that we're friends with the producer of La La Land. We've known Julian Jordan for almost 10 years. Julie and I are birthday buddies, and uh, they have a little toddler, Arthur, who makes a fabulous appearance in the film. And last night, uh, we got to watch him make a, a beautiful acceptance speech. And he dedicated it to his wife, Julia, who, by the way, does have the bluest eyes on the planet, um, and to his little guy. And then something crazy happened. So while the other producers were giving thanks, you could notice this like chaos on stage. And we watched Jordan Horowitz and those around him find out that the award wasn't theirs. The trophy in his hand wasn't his. And the most remarkable thing happened, in a moment of utter confusion and the biggest feelings. We saw Jordan Horowitz, toddler dad, take the reins. This is not a joke. Moonlight has won Best Picture. No, Moonlight, wow. Best Picture.
1: Okay. Guys... This is uh, very unfortunate what happened. I would like to see you get an Oscar anyway. Why can't we just give out a whole bunch of them? I'm going to be really proud to hand this to my friends from Moonlight. That's nice nice of you. That's very nice. nice.
0: He explained what happened clearly and with authority and with artistic generosity that I feel so lucky to have witnessed. He stayed in the moment. He stayed out of his own ego. And he called the Moonlight cast on stage and he hugged them all. Parents, we are the producers at home. We are the leaders. I've got a little sparkling Emma Stone of my own. God, I don't oh, Pregnancy hormones. <sighs> She's three. And that's who the spotlight's on. But in moments of confusion, we're the ones to rise up, right? And we calmly speak the truth. And we do it with an open heart. And we right the ship. In that chaos on stage, it looked like people were drowning. There was a guy with a, he was like a stage manager or something. He was running around looking for the envelope. Another guy threw in the towel. And there was Jordan saying to all of us watching, I've got you. This is going to be okay. You don't need to worry about me or my feelings. Here's the situation. And let's focus our attention, not on what just happened, but what is happening in this very moment, which is a very deserving film. Moonlight is getting this award. Today, I have another leader like that on Atomic Moms. I've seen her handle children flailing in the water with the same authority and grace. There is no worry on her face, only trust. Selena Willows is the founder of Swim to Selena. It's a specialized program she created based on her extensive experience as a swim instructor and lifeguard. So she first started teaching swimming lessons when she was 14 years old, and she's been an instructor for all Red Cross certification levels, including lifeguard certification. She has managed swim programs and developed curriculums for local community centers and boarding schools and was the head lifeguard at a military summer camp for almost 10 years, where she was responsible for the safety of more than 500 swimmers every day. In addition, during this time, she created and taught a course on cold water survival techniques. See, y'all, I always get the best. Selena is also an NASM certified personal trainer as well as a certified nutrition coach with Precision Nutrition. She is currently working on her first mindset coaching program, which will launch March 13th, 2017. That's coming up. So this episode's in two parts. Part one, could save your child's life. Part two, we're gonna talk about how Selena lost a hundred pounds, and she's gonna give us some really fantastic tools that can help us out in our own lives this week. Okay, everybody. We're the leaders, we're calm, steady, self-assured. I'll be right back with Selena. Hi, everybody. I'm back with Selena in our studio. I still don't have my voice. Yay. Uh a couple of weeks ago we did a really fun interview with the author of It's Okay Not to Share and It's Okay to Go Up the Slide, Heather Shoemaker. And we talked about water and kind of how much it freaks me out. Uh and so I decided, you know, we've only done like 120 podcasts. It's about time we jump in. Uh, into the pool. And so my guest today, Selena, she came into my life last fall. Uh, it was about time that Sabrina start taking swim classes. And a couple moms were raving uh, about this woman. And so I signed Sabrina up and uh, a very long list that we will talk about in a moment arrives in the email. Um, of the do's and don'ts for the parents. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Let's We'll figure this out. But it's, an immer- it's a total immersion, um, metaphorically and physically, uh, for our children because it's every single day, I think for a week and a half. I'll get the logistics from Selena now. But the experience was so eye-opening for me. I had taken Sabrina to soccer uh, when she was really little. I took her to like a kid gym place for stuff. Um, I've taken her to dance. And it's always been fun to watch. But this felt, this is so weird to say, it felt like a spiritual experience um, for me and for my child. And just that week and a half of watching her, um... Oh man! And just like all the barriers she was able to break through, and how she was able to surpass like any expectations one might have of a, I think she was she had just turned three. Um, it it was just really really remarkable, and it the things that I picked up from watching Selena in the pool with the children, like I have taken on as a parent. Um, it's sort of like my daily practice of trying to be a better mom. And uh, I just, I, I couldn't get over it. And I kept sitting there and being like, oh my God, I have to have her as a guest on the show. I have to have her as a guest on the show. And it was hitting fall and it was like her last session of the season. And I was like, well, we'll just have to do round two in the spring uh, and I'll ask her on then. And so, yes, uh, a lot of the country is still under snow But many people are headed for spring break, and a lot of parents are asking about where to send their kids uh, to swim class. And so I wanted to have Selena on, even though she's in Studio City, which is near L.A., um, and many of you are not able to go to Selena. I think we can still pick up a lot of tips from her, uh, not only in the pool, but as parents. And I think it might be helpful for uh, those of you who are looking into a program. So uh, that is the longest ramble ever. But it was very heartfelt and Sudafed-driven. So, Selena, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Ellie. I'm
2: over here and my heart is so full with the things you said.
0: So now that we've been warm and fuzzy, let's just scare the hell out of the parents. (laughs) (laughs) I want to talk about water safety first. And I remember you saying in class that at a certain, you know, however many seconds— Kids are in the water. They give up trying to swim. So let's start with that terrifying statistic.
2: That is a terrifying one. Um, So an adult's brain will have them stop fighting in about a minute. Um, So when a person is submerged and they are in a drowning situation, an adult will fight for about a minute before their brain shuts down and gives in. Um, A child It only takes 20 seconds. And 20 seconds, I mean, that's shorter than
0: going to answer the phone. I've had cough sessions this week that are longer than 20 seconds. Right, right. So you turn your back for for 20 seconds. 20 seconds. And it's over.
2: And it's over, and the child is not fighting anymore. And to top this off, um, many people think that drowning looks like Splashing and chaos and yelling for help. The truth is, is that none of those things happen when a child is drowning. A child's brain doesn't allow them to scream because they are looking for air. It doesn't allow them to thrash about. It's silent and it's calm. And I can't tell you how many children I have pulled out of the pool right next to their parents.
0: Now I'm totally freaked. Sorry. No, it's important though. I keep hearing stories um, about kids at parties mm-hmm. and it's like, that has like, I cannot shake it. Um, I keep hearing about, you know, it's like everyone was gathered around the child with the birthday cake and meanwhile, another kid fell in the pool. Right. So when we are in a new environment, what are your recommendations for parents besides You know, just like putting a leash on the kid.
2: (laughs) Uh, Leashes could be helpful. Hmm. Um, I guess in this case, it's a constant supervision of the doors, knowing where your children are at all times, double-checking the gates. If you are a homeowner with a pool, making sure that you have a gate around your pool that has an alarm on it. So not only the gate, but a gate that locks, but a gate that if
0: opened, you can hear it. That's genius. I never would have thought of that.
2: Doors, right? We all have alarm systems in our houses, or a lot of us do. Uh, Set that chime on so that you can hear when a door opens and you can do a quick scan of where are
0: all the kids. Yep. Right? Um, Oh, my God. I had a mom fail just the other week where Sabrina wanted – Adam had gone out to take the trash out and she's three and a half and she'd figured out the lock on the front door and she went out front and it was dark. And I go, Sabrina, what are you doing? And she goes, I'm brave, Mom. And I was like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, i got to get a lock on the top of that door.
2: Right, right. Um, so I have uh, locks on all the gates, and I have an alarm system that chimes when the doors open.
0: And what do you do if you're in a, at a birthday party and everyone's in the pool?
2: Mm-hmm. You know, one of those scenarios. You stay at arm's reach of your child at all times. Yeah. Your eyes are the best security system your child can have eyes on your child at all times. And I know that that's hard and a lot of parents don't want to get in the pool. Right. A lot of parents are like, let's just chill on the side of the pool and I'll watch.
0: Right. You or we to want like, to catch up with our friends. Right. We
2: want to catch up with our friends. To, but here's the thing. Even if you're sitting on the side of the pool with your feet in the water, the time it takes for you to turn around and grab your of wine mm-hmm. or a drink or whatever. And then you turn around and look at the pool and you can't spot your child anymore. Mm-hmm. And the time it takes you to find your child in the water or mm-hmm. not, in panic
0: mm-hmm.
2: that 20 seconds is over.
0: Okay. So, I need a drink. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but not near a body of water with my <laughs> child. So, one of the coolest things I saw you do with the kids, and I'm sure a lot of children come to you who have had bad water experiences. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of kids that are scared of water. Um, you have them sort of Mark the perimeter of the pool. Can we talk about that for a second?
2: We can. Um, I just want to address one other thing. Just yeah. sort of because this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They had
2: a little incident. Um, now, with all this talk of drowning in the 20 seconds, it can make a parent crazy, right? right. So the second we see our child go under, we panic. And then we pull that child up. And we are panicked, and therefore, they are panicking, right? Same thing happens with um, children around pools. We're constantly grabbing them and saying, don't play so close. Don't go so Mm -hmm. close to the pool. Um, You're too close. Don't lean over the pool, right? And we're constantly feeding them this bit of insecurity that we have about the water. And so when it comes time for them to learn to swim, they have all these insecurities that are not their own that were put on them. And so – Finding a balance between that is really, really difficult. Okay. Um, so when I have new children in my class, one of the first things we do is I have them learn where the air is. So the air is all around the pool with your hands on the side. It is the stairs, the benches. It's the places they can reach and the places they can pull themselves up. And so
0: we start with that because that is those are all the places they will return to at any given time. And to go back... To the fear for one second in that email I alluded to at the beginning, um, your, my interpretation, because also I always read people's emails. Like this is uh, one of my quirks. I think probably a lot of mothers share it. Uh, I have like a, like a certain like bitchy voice that I'll read emails in with like do's and don'ts and that kind of stuff. And it was sort of my interpretation of what you wrote was like, parents, you're going to sit your butt you know, you're in the background. I'm, I'm top dog. And don't interfere. And yes, you say it in a much kinder way, but this is how I read it, right? Sit your butt on the side of the pool. Keep your mouth shut. Watch your child. Let me do my thing. Do not uh, comment. Do not run over. Don't, um, don't interject yourself. And, it was awesome. I, I, that first day, I was like, oh, my God, this woman is Cesar Millan. And to watch three small children uh, and to watch Sabrina at the time, now she's she's matured so much and I can't wait to watch her jump back in the pool with you. Um, but just that first day, the way she was able to lock eyes with you and uh, the sort of like energetic connection you have with the three children in the pool. So for listeners... Selena's in the pool, and what's the most children you have in the pool? Three. You have three kids in the pool, which, by the way, for children who've never learned how to swim, that seems like a big deal. And they all, they, like, grip onto the side of the pool, and they wait their turn, and uh, they each swim out to Selena, and you tell them to keep their eyes open. But the coolest thing is when they've sputtered, um, there was one little boy in Sabrina's class, who was having a hard time. He didn't want to kick. You know, Sabrina thinks she's a mermaid, so she was cool. She was, like, swimming across the pool. Like, I was insane to me. Like, by day three, I was like, how – like, it's incredible what our children are able to do when we don't set the limits on them. And we give them the, like, appropriate boundaries and let them feel safe to, like, really, you know, soar. But this one child was – um, he was really scared, and there were some tears. And when he would – succeed when he was able to swim all the way to Selena um, and she would lift him up. She would make eye contact with him and she would say, did you do it? Did you do it? And sort of the pride that you could feel like welling up in that child's chest, it just was so beautiful. And so that is like the big thing that I've taken from Selena. Like you know, at least I want to say every day, every couple days. If Sabrina has done something new, um, I'll instead of saying like a good job or you did it, I'll say did you do it? And in that way, when she says I did it, she gets to fully own that victory. So what do you see in parents that is, like, frustrating or annoying, or how are they getting in their children's way? Oh, wow.
2: Uh, That's (laughs) a really great question. So let me just tell you that that email that you get, Mm -hmm. the first draft of it sounded exactly like you read it. (laughs) Because as parents, and I do this too, I do this too, we want the absolute best for our children, and we want to take all their pain away. We do, right? We don't want them to suffer. We don't want them to hurt. If they're crying, we want to make it better. It's in our DNA, right? It's ingrained in us. And so part of that email is very much that parents need to take a step back because allowing your child to accomplish something is a huge deal for their self-esteem, for their self-worth, and it applies throughout their lives later on as adults too. And swimming is one of those things that children can learn very quickly If people get out of their way, I often say that I don't so much teach as I facilitate. I provide a safe environment where kids are empowered and they get to learn how to swim. They get to teach themselves how to swim. I guide them, but I do very little instruction. Very little kick your legs or, you know, Mm -hmm. breathe out or blow bubbles or very little instruction. And there's not a bunch of stupid
0: toys. There's no toys. There's no toys until later. Until way later. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, and I also want to say that you're you're like, do not do the, you know, not safety jackets, but like the little like floaties. Don't do those things. And why should we not do those? So no
2: floaties, no goggles, no flippers, none of that stuff. So the floaties are particular in that they create a false sense of security for both the child and the parent. Um, And the child is not learning to swim in the appropriate position it puts them in a more vertical position which is not how we swim that's how we drown uh trying to keep our head up is how children drown they need to learn to put their face in the water and swim horizontally so the all those little puffy things that yeah. help them float the floaties and the all little their little accessories things and all that stuff even the bathing suits that have the yeah the foam in them mm-hmm. and the belts, all those things are just creating a false insecurity, right? This is where parents say, well, she's got her floaties on. I'm going to go answer the phone.
0: Yeah, or sign this check at the or, hotel or, pool. Yeah, yeah,
2: right? Like, I just got to – she'll be fine um, or he'll be fine. And uh, so those floaties are just absolutely a no-go, um, not in my class and not after they've taken my class. Once they've mm-hmm. taken my class, that's it. There's no more.
0: I do. I spend a lot of my time correcting position because of floaties. Mm. And you also talk about the communication, like this idea that when a child is going to swim to you, they need to say, yes. Mommy, are you ready for me?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um the yeah. goggles and the flippers. Oh yeah, let's go yeah. back to it. So the goggles and the flippers create a sense where a child says, I need my to swim. I need my goggles, I need my special bathing suit, yeah. my whatever it is, right? I need my I need my hmm Right. And so if they're constantly swimming with goggles and one day they fall in the pool, their brain is not going to say, I know what to do. Their brain is going to say, oh, my God, my goggles. Right? And that's not (laughs) what we want. We want a child to be able to move themselves in the water, get back to the side, do what they need to do Mm -hmm. to get to a safe
0: place. Mm -hmm. And about getting back to the side, and this is my – I'm curious if some parents have freaked out because you – and I don't know if other teachers do this, but you have them sit – this is like day five, maybe four. Sit on the edge of the pool. Uh, they're back to the pool, or you, you and they. You throw them in, right? And yes. they have to find the edge of the pool. So they're totally disoriented because they've been thrown in, like flip flopped. I mean, and you like throw them. Yes, like it's a great workout. That's
2: the best part of my session every time.
0: And it's amazing to watch. I could not believe that Sabrina could orient herself that quickly and paddle back and grab the edge of the pool and lift herself up.
2: Right. So all the days preceding when we do that um, are all training for that moment, right? Going underwater, we spend almost three days just getting them used to the feeling of water on their face. Right? And mm-hmm. that's where the tears stop. Once that stops, then we can actually get into the work. And everything I do from the beginning is to help them keep from panicking. And so when I get to the part where I am throwing them in, and I am throwing them in the pool. Yeah. By the way, everyone, parents
0: – like right? Adam went to one class, and I think uh, – and then at the end, he, he – the last day, you let the parents swim. One, yes. But I think that one day, I, he was – it really turned his stomach –
1: yeah, I, mean, I it, thought it was
0: amazing. It's funny because I have so much anxiety about so many things, but I think that also is a testament to uh, how much I trust you as a teacher and just as a person. That it was awesome to watch her do like basically flips into the water and then find the edge.
2: And you and you saw the buildup of it too, right? right? He there showed up go. and all of a sudden I'm throwing Hilarious. his daughter in the water when right. five days ago she couldn't swim, and he's going, right. "What is going on?" Right? right? Totally. Um, yeah. So there's there's a lot of buildup to that that uh, that's important. Right, we don't just turn around. Right. That's not how we teach. Children. That's not how we teach children to swim. We do not right. throw them in the deep end and say, "Figure it out." Right. right?
0: Um, There's a whole process. There's a whole process. Do you have there been parents totally freaking out at that moment? No, no. By that By then, point, cool. uh, everybody has seen what their child is capable of, and uh, and there there
2: have been moments where some children are ready for it and some aren't. Mm-hmm. And um, what I do is very personalized to mm-hmm. each child. I may have them all in the same class, and it may look like it's all they're all doing the same thing, but they're not. Mm-hmm. The force with which I throw one is not the same as the force with which I throw mm-hmm. another. Uh, the distance I ask one to swim is not the same as the distance I ask another to swim. And everything's very tailored to each individual child. And by the time the parents get to where we're throwing the kids in, I mean, they're just so in awe that this is another moment where they're like, Oh my goodness. I mm-hmm. yeah, I can't believe my child's able to do this. Right? So it's um it's fun for me too. It it really uh it speaks to my soul.
0: It's, I love doing it. When we come back, we're going to talk to Selena about personal empowerment, uh about losing 100 pounds. At one point, <laughs> uh you were 280 pounds. We're going to talk about God, we're going to talk about shame. We're going to talk about resilience. Uh, we're gonna, we've done the kid work, right? And now we're about to dig into all the mom stuff. We'll be right back on Atomic Moms. Okay. And we are back with Selena. So during our little break, uh, we're freezing in this garage studio, but I don't want to turn on the heat because of the sound. Uh, sorry, Selena. Um, I asked her if she's ever concerned about, like, throwing out the kids, like, necks or backs when, when she does do the toss into the pool. Um, and, of course, she had a fantastic answer, which is? Uh,
2: well, I actually taught gymnastics
0: for over 10 years. I'm a
2: certified gymnastics coach. And so there are some things like that that I I know how to spot a child and how to hold a child in order to help them rotate in the air and stuff.
0: Yeah. So parents, maybe don't you know don't throw your kids in yourself without knowing how to appropriately <laughs> do it. Um, and uh, and I thought that was I had no idea that you did that t- as well. It's pretty yeah. cool to see um, and through your bio also as well to see sort of the different threads of your life coming into this one. Uh, one career slash life purpose. Um, your blog, selenawillows.com, you have the tagline, live life on purpose. And I'm wondering if you could share a little, a tiny, tiny, tiny bit about what that means to you, to live life on
2: purpose. To me, that means to use the good China. To not save things. For a special occasion, because today is special. I live every day on purpose. This business of doing what you should and doing what you have to do and all the uh, stress and the things we put on ourselves. Um, some of those things, a lot of those things are not necessary. You know, um, I'm going to share something with you. My kids, they don't get baths every night. Do you know why? Because I don't want to. And it's okay. You know, it's okay. I've let go of bathing them daily. I've also let go of keeping my floors pristine because those are not the things that are important in life.
0: Is there one ritual that you do with your family, like on a daily or weekly basis, that just fills up your heart? We have tea time every night
2: after dinner. We make a pot of tea. And we sit down and we have tea
0: time. Yeah. What do you t- you just talk about? We just stuff?
2: talk. We talk about our days. You know, uh, we often have to ask the kids if they have any questions, if anything came up that day. I'm um, trying to foster an environment where they can always come to me and ask anything they want. No matter how absurd or scary or embarrassing they may feel it may be, they can ask us anything. And they will get a serious, honest response to their level of understanding, obviously. Um, Amongst uh, my husband and I, the rule is that if they are old enough to ask the question, they are old enough for the answer. And so that means that I don't elaborate any further. But if I'm asked where babies come from, they get the answer where babies come from. I don't go further unless they ask but how or right? Mm -hmm. unless they ask more. Um, But, yeah, so we use that tea time to talk about our days,
0: to talk about our feelings, to ask questions. Which sounds pretty revolutionary from uh, the way that you were raised. Yes. So going back, um, you know, on your blog, and by the way, as a former blogger myself, I'm very – sensitive to the fact that, you know, writing our stories is very different from sharing it, uh, you know, on a podcast or just speaking it out loud. Um, There's a safety in writing it. Um, And I was, uh, I, I really, I'm trying to stop using words like "blown away," but I I was blown away by your honesty in this blog, um, and your openness to share your struggles. And so, while you were growing up, um, you were diagnosed with cystic ovarian. Oh no, polycystic, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Ovarian syndrome, uh, which leads to weight gain, or that's one of the main symptoms, right? Yeah, one of many. But you know, you've had. Trauma, uh, three times.
2: Mm I mean, sexually assaulted. Yep.
0: And you found comfort in food.
2: I did. I found great comfort in food. Uh, Food was a place where I could just sit quietly and and enjoy it. And there was, um, I had control over it.
0: Mm -hmm. It was something I could control. And also, it was interesting that it was yours. You talk about, you know, with b- being raised. How many siblings again? Uh, so I have five siblings. So five siblings, um, and the yeah. idea that there just wasn't enough of the good stuff in your house, and that you wanted to get it when you could. Yeah. And then that was so. So this like idea of scarcity of like right, right. the brothers are going to take my food if I don't get it for myself.
2: Right. Uh, so to be clear, I mean, you know. I never, ever did not have enough to eat growing up. Like, that was never my experience. There was always food in the house. Um, But if mom bought peaches, there was a limited amount of peaches, and there were always apples and oranges. When you get sick of apples and oranges and there's a peach in the house, you want to eat it. And growing up with two older brothers, um, that kind of food – the, the peaches, the cold cuts, the desserts, mm-hmm. the, you know, the stuff that was not a regular appearance in our house went quickly. And there was this feeling of get yours now. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember uh, growing up, there were often posted notes on food containers. This is so-and-so's, do not eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not. It's not to say that all my siblings had the same experience with this as I did. Uh, The way I internalized this is is very different from my siblings. Um, Not from all of them, certainly, but from some of them. And for me, it was a feeling of scarcity. Mm -hmm. And as I grew older, having gone through what I did with Mm -hmm. the sexual assaults, um, I had a certain amount of control over some things. and, And food was one of the things I had control over.
0: And so I turned to it for comfort. Um, You write about, you know, needing to ask for a seatbelt extender on the plane. Um, And I've never heard someone talk about the upside of being obese. And there always is, right? In whatever we're doing in life, if there's a pattern or habit, there's a reason we don't want to break it. And we're like, why can't we change? Why can't we change? And it's there is a bonus. Can you talk a little bit about the upside of being 280 pounds? So I think uh for me the, the one of the
2: biggest bonuses, and this I've seen you know in some of my clients as well, um it's kind of I, I don't want to say universal because it's not everybody. But one of the bonuses of being bigger is the ability to hide. You know, it may seem counterintuitive because you have a bigger body, but people don't pay as much attention to you when you're bigger. And so if there's a shame or guilt or a feeling of less than, being bigger enables you to, to disappear into the background, to hide. Um, and often... Uh, people who are carrying around excess weight, uh, there is a shame around it. And and oftentimes it has nothing to do with their bodies. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes the shame is more deeply rooted. Um, for me, it was the sexual assault. And uh, it went back further than that, not understanding my body, not um, trusting my body.
0: Mm-hmm. Because you did not grow up with the tea time.
2: I did not grow up with tea time. Um, that's not to say that our parents didn't talk to us. It's not to say that they were hiding anything. I think that they just grew up in a different time. Mm-hmm. And there were certain things you don't talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first started my period, I didn't know what it was. I was 12, and I had no idea. No idea what it was. Freaking out, obviously. Um but, yeah, I just – I had, a, I had a, a deep-rooted distrust of my
0: body. Hmm. And – Which is s- interesting with your background in swimming and this idea that there is no more, like, sort of physically revealing sport. Um, did you feel uncomfortable when you were lifeguarding growing up in your swimsuit or
2: – So I didn't actually start gaining weight until I hit my teens. I was uh, quite slim before that. And I never had any um, any body issues, to be quite honest, as far as size or anything mm-hmm. like that. I, it was not something I had ever even considered. Um, there were some little things in ballet class. I was a little bigger than the other girls. But it wasn't something that uh, weighed on me mm-hmm. ever until,
0: um, until I was 280 pounds. Okay, so leading up to two eighty, it wasn't that your obsession wasn't my size, Not your ever. size. You did not. That's that's so fascinating to me. I mean, as a person who probably has like just a tiny bit of body dysmorphia myself, that this and I and now I'm like, oh god, don't say that because you know that's a very serious illness, and I shouldn't compare myself to that. But but when I look in the mirror, that is something that I think of. Often, in size, and that if I gain twenty pounds, it would be devastating. I imagine. Yeah, yeah. I I and that's probably because my family history. There's like such an obsession on my father's side about weight, Mm -hmm. and that it's this. It's very much like a trophy thing. I mean, my grandmother, my dad's mother, was blind when she was like in her sixties in 70s and when i would visit her the first thing she would do she'd ask me how much i weighed and she would pat she would pretend to hug me but she was patting my sides to see where i was
2: wow yeah so
0: this idea that you could gain all of that weight and feel protected and also i love that you mentioned that you felt so much stronger
2: yes yeah so i think I think a, a lot of people suffer with um, different levels of body dysmorphia. I mean, I think that it's more widespread than we than we want to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I I didn't have any of that until until it was a picture one day that I saw yeah. of myself, and it just
0: blew me away. I couldn't believe how big I was. And so when you were at 280 pounds, you met your fiance, or you, were, you you were got engaged. Is that true? Yeah, we got engaged. I was at my heaviest when I got married. I was still
2: around around 280. Um, when we met, it was a little bit smaller when we met. Um, we met in university. And over the How next did you meet him when you were years, hiding?
0: Do you know what I mean? Like So <sighs> That's a really good question. I'm really good at my job. Uh,
2: I see that. Um, (laughs) Okay. So um, at the time when we met, um, I had gotten to a point where I was using more than food to take control. I was drinking a lot. And I was very promiscuous. And I, that was a place where I had control. And so when I met him, I never imagined that we would get married and have children and live a life together. It was the kind of attention that I could control. hmm Yeah.
0: And he just snuck up on you. So it he, started as that and then... He totally snuck up on me. Yeah. Um, when did you start doing, like... When did like that start? No, when did you start doing like the work? When did you start? God, because it must have been in you. If he saw, you know, if you were able to, uh, you know, rise up to the occasion of meeting your soulmate, how did you? When did? You? So I started doing the physical
2: work, mm. the weight loss. um After we were married, I went to see a doctor and. Uh he told me that I was
0: really sick. Mm. How yep. did that t- it hit hard. Um, yeah. when he said that, what was what was your next move after that appointment? I'm not going down like this. Wow. Yep. Cause I would have stopped at In and Out. And that's not <laughs> even like my go to for comfort. Although when Sabrina got vaccinated, yeah, and she was like Sobbing, the first thing I did was go through the drive, throw it in and out. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, I love it. That was your response. Yeah. You're a fighter. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I decided that I was that this was not the way my
2: life was going to go. Yeah. And I wanted to have children. Yeah. And um, I decided that I wasn't going to be the mom sitting in a car while my kids played in the park. That wasn't going to be me. So I started doing the physical work, and I lost uh, a good seventy pounds before I had my son, and then wow, yep, yeah, and then I lost a little more between the two, and still more after my daughter was born. But the the real work, yeah, and what I call the the real
0: actual work, uh, actually didn't start until just a few years ago. Have. Your family members noticed a difference, or friends from your past? can they tell the difference sort of in your brightness, or did you always have it?
2: Um, I didn't always have it. I think I had it when I was young. I think that this is who I am now is who I
0: was. And I who know. I intended to so I, I was intended to be. Yep. Um, I feel the same way. It's like, I'm like, oh, yeah, about you. Well, I don't know. I didn't know you as a child, but there is a light about you. And I feel like that who I was in like second grade or when I was like seven years old, like that's me now. Yes. And that's when I'm at my best.
2: Right. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think that this was always who I was intended to be. I went through a very dark period. I was very angry at the world. Yeah. And... Um, I don't even think I realized it at the time, uh but i was I was not a happy person, and if I wasn't going to be happy, then nobody around me was going to be happy. Mm-hmm. and I don't know how or why or what my husband saw beneath all of that, uh but he did and uh and I'm so glad he did because without him, there's no way I could have done all the things that I'm doing now. So how did you find attachment parenting? Uh, by accident. Completely by accident. Uh, and my, my son was born in the hospital. Um, I had watched the business of being born when mm-hmm. I was like eight and a half months pregnant or something. Eight months pregnant. Yeah. Just and, enough time to scare the hell right, out of you but not to time, do all the
0: work to make it possible. But too late
2: to get a midwife. Right. Uh, so we got a doula. Yeah. And I had a hospital birth. And it was textbook. Everything went wonderfully. And they keep me in the hospital for two overnights or whatever yeah. it is. And he would not sleep. He would fall asleep in my arms. Mm-hmm. And I would put him down in the Tupperware bin that they give you.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And he would start screaming. And I was at my wit's end. And so I said to my husband, I said, he's just going to sleep next to me. That's it. He's just going to sleep in my arms. Like, I need to sleep. You can't right. physically go on, right. and he needs to sleep, and this is, not, this is not working. And so my husband held him for a little while. I held him for a little while, and I eventually fell asleep with him in my arms. And I remember the nurse came in at one point in the middle of the night, and she said, you can't do that. We don't, we don't allow that. And right.
0: I'm sure they're afraid you're going to drop the baby.
2: Right, or smother the baby or something. Right. And my husband uh, sat up and said, it's okay, I'm watching them. Oh, now he had been asleep too. He just he saw the light when the door mm-hmm. opened and stepped in, knowing that this was the mm-hmm. only way that we were going to get any sleep. And then when we brought uh, Declan home, we uh, we had bought one of those in bed sleepers, mm-hmm. and those things take up a lot of room in a queen size yeah. bed. Let me tell yeah. you, yeah, a lot of room. And there was no space for either of us to sleep with this sleeper in the bed. And every time I put him in it, even if I had my hand on him. He would wake up screaming. And I literally launched the thing across the room. Mm-hmm. And I looked at my husband and I said, he sleeps in my arms tonight and tomorrow we look it up. Yeah, And that's what we did. And we came upon uh, Dr. Sears mm-hmm. and all that great stuff. Did you get a harder mattress? Um, you know, we didn't. Uh, we had a pretty firm mattress to begin with. Mm. Um, but we followed, you know, the guidelines of not the same blankets. And right. he doesn't sleep between the mm-hmm. two of you.
0: Yeah. And listeners who are curious about this... You know, do your research uh, because you want to keep your baby, baby safe.
2: Yes. Yeah. And and the biggest thing that we learned was that um, studies show that if you are breastfeeding the child through the night, if you're breastfeeding mm-hmm. full time, that this is something that is safe.
0: Mm. If this child mm-hmm. is getting a
2: bottle and you're not breastfeeding the child. Um, is that because they're heavier sleepers than... I think it has to do with the attachment and and, um, understanding where the child is in relation to you. I remember waking up and like my shoulder was sore and my Mm -hmm. arm was asleep
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and there was Declan sleeping on my arm and I hadn't moved despite Mm -hmm. the pain and agony I was in. I hadn't moved. And that was kind of a moment where I knew that this was going to be okay, Mm -hmm. that this was going to be safe.
0: I kind of had the opposite (laughs) where Sabrina, uh, when she was really little, I would take, if I was lucky enough to take a nap during the day, which was so rare, um, and also probably because I had this experience, but we have a little dog named Chubbs. He's like 15 pounds. And I took a nap, uh, and Sabrina was probably with Adam downstairs or something. And uh, I woke up from my nap, and I felt this little like warm body Uh at my calf, and I like threw off the comforter, you know, because I was, like, terrified that it was, like, because you never stop thinking about them. Right. And I was so scared that my dog was my baby that had somehow, like, <laughs> gone down in there. Um, but there's also, you know, rules about your bedding. Yes. Um, and the blanket situation and all of that jazz. So, again, parents, look that up. Um, and I want to ask you... In your bio, it says that you're going to have your kids sleeping with you till college. Uh, Yeah. Um, How big is your bed now?
2: (laughs) (laughs) So that's an exaggeration. Um, We do have a king. And uh, what we've done actually is actually we've
0: turned it sideways um, because they're longer than they are wide. Mm -hmm. So we have, like, a wider king than necessary. I'm imagining right now that scene in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory when he goes home to his, like, aunts and uncles and everyone sleeping in the same bed.
2: Um. It happens rarely that all four of us are in the bed. Okay. Uh, what happens now often is, and kind of in ebbs and flows, one of them will wake up and crawl into our bed in the middle of the night, and we often allow them to fall asleep in our
0: bed. And then so they we have their zone. own bed. They absolutely but they can do. Come into yours. Yeah, they absolutely do. They have their own beds. How do you keep them kicking the crap out of you? So, and this is where I would say
2: that these kinds of things have to work for your family.
0: Yeah.
2: Right, I mean
0: i I have an octopus there's right. there was a great uh thing I saw on Instagram recently about how sleeping with a toddler' is like sleeping with an octopus. <laughs> she has like twelve limbs all of a sudden, right, she's like a Greek mythological creature, yeah, where you're like, how is she?
2: yeah, so we you know we've we've our sleeping arrangements have morphed over the years, and then something that was working doesn't work anymore, and so we adjust. Um, for the most part now, they fall asleep in our bed, and then we move them with the understanding that they, they know when we put them down that they will not wake up there. Right. And so that's something so that we freak. make sure. Yeah, that we make sure that they understand, that they know you mm-hmm. will be waking up in your own bed tonight. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Do you, you go to bed really early?
2: No, so they the... go to bed in our bed, and we're still up. Oh. Yeah, they just like to be in our bed. Uh. And so we'll move them, and then... Most nights, inevitably, one of them will get up and crawl between us.
0: I'm never going to let Sabrina listen to this episode. Because, <laughs> like, every day that's what she wants. Mm-hmm. Oh, man.
2: But my kids don't move around a lot. Yeah. You know, and this is where I say it has to work for your family, right? I mean, if you're so bent – I mean, I had a nursery set up for
0: Declan. Mm-hmm.
2: I had a nursery with a crib like the whole thing. Right. I did the thing. That, but then you that we went do. with
0: your instincts and you listened to your then, particular child. That's
2: right. And it just didn't yeah. work for us. And I ended up using the um crib as a laundry hamper. So that's that awesome. he couldn't unfold no, the laundry, right? Yeah. I mean that was that was it. Yeah. Um that's great. also never used a changing table. Really? Never. Yeah. It just didn't make sense to me to right. walk just halfway on across the, bed. the house
0: Right. No, to that change a diaper.
2: When I could do it right here,
0: <laughs> that's a great point.
2: Yeah, and so things I think have to of work. all
0: the things that we bought for Sabrina that now with this next baby, I'm like, oh, okay, it's
2: incredible, right? Like, all the I don't things need that, that we're told we need. I know. I don't need that. I mean, don't need anything.
0: Yeah. I need my Becko baby carrier. That's I was about just going to
2: say, you need a baby carrier and whatever your feeding method is. Right. Right. Whatever. Whatever yep. your feeding method is,
0: a baby carrier, and then you know what? I need my boobs, my therapist, and my becco carrier. I'm good to go. Right. Exactly. You're also a fitness and nutrition coach. And so I imagine that a big aspect of it is the psychology behind why we hold ourselves back. So you write about, you know, the stories we tell ourselves. And you and I share a couple of bestsellers, okay, like the imposter complex and the not good enough. So can you give us an exercise – so that we can sort of figure out what our story is and how to have a breakthrough. You know, not, not, no pressure there, but like give us a breakthrough homework assignment, please.
2: So something I ask uh, all my clients to do when we first start together is to write their story. Now, um, if I see that a client is suffering more with uh, food, then we talk about food. If they're struggling more about body image, then we talk about body image. So whatever it is that they're struggling with, we write their story with it, kind of like a timeline. So in your case, I would ask you to tell me or to write down, and you don't, I don't even necessarily ask for them to share it with me. Mm-hmm. It's for you to make a timeline of all the times that somebody pointed something out about your body. Mm. And how far back can we go?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: How far back does, you know, your grandmother asking your weight, was there something before that, you know? Mm. And nothing is insignificant. Anything that you remember is absolutely valid and significant to this. So that's the first thing I ask because I think often we don't realize how deeply rooted and far back these issues go, these things go. Um so I ask them to do that. Then I ask them to explore how their shame manifests itself inwardly. So this is the way we talk to ourselves. Um, I call it a little troll voice. I love it. You call right? out the
0: troll and I have – I've, my listeners know I call it my tribunal of assholes.
2: There you go. That's exactly it, right? That little voice in the back of your head that says, oh, my God, this outfit is terrible. I can't possibly go out looking like this. Um I'm going out for lunch with my girlfriends. I don't what want to order thinking? a salad, but why did you share? that? Better. yes, right, exactly. All those little things that say like, "You're not good enough." Yeah, um, you're not skinny enough. Mm-hmm. You're not beautiful enough.
0: It'll never you're not happen. Smart
2: enough. It'll never happen. Unlovable. That's a big mm-hmm. one. Unlovable. Um, so that's the next part of it. Then I ask my clients to explore how their shame manifests itself physically. So this is a big one. Um, I think a lot of people suffer from perfectionism,
1: mm-hmm. right?
2: Hair has to be such just so. Dinner has to be on the table. Especially moms, we're so hard on ourselves, right? We have people over and we're like, everything has to be spotless.
0: Why? Nobody lives like that. I, know, I haven't had people over <laughs> in months. Isn't that crazy? Nobody lives like that, though. Nobody expects your house to be perfection.
2: Not everybody wants to make
0: homemade muffins. No. Right? Oh, my God. That's
2: not everybody's thing. The
0: one photo thing I did with Sabrina, which actually my the photographer was amazing. Everyone look up Hello Pinecone because she was so cool with Sabrina. And she made it so natural and relaxed. And it's the pictures that are on her website. Um, there's a picture of her eating a muffin, and it's totally from the grocery store down the street. Like I put out a th- thing of muffins, and I was like, this is such BS. Like store-bought muffins, man. Good for you. Yeah.
2: Good for you because that's not your thing and that's okay. No. doesn't have to be your thing. No. Right? Right. Right. Totally. Okay. So we do these things, right? Right. We're like, I can't bring store-bought muffins and my floors have to be clean. And I'm going to tell a little story here. I had the audacity to host a mom's night at my house. Amazing. And uh, I had everybody over, and I was thinking, yeah, you know, potluck, bring some wine. We'll have a good time. And I put out paper plates and plastic cups and plastic cutlery. Well, wouldn't you know that two years later, the parents are still talking about how I had the audacity to use paper plates. Wait, they didn't like it? Not all of them. Not all of them. There are a couple of parents in there that could not believe
0: that I didn't use China. See? For a mom's Well, night. probably because they heard you say that to live life on purpose, you should use your best china. Just kidding.
2: Uh, yeah, don't you know, it. and I do believe that. But at the same <laughs> no, time,
0: no. I don't want to do all those dishes. No, no, no,
2: no, no. Right? I'm no. not going to spend the time doing those dishes. And so we actually don't live with good china. Right. I have mm, eight plates. Right. Because that's all we need. Exactly. I'm kind of a bit of a minimalist. I don't like to have a lot of stuff. Yeah. And uh, I've actually gotten rid of all that stuff because
0: it doesn't go in the dishwasher. (laughs) Right. Right. And for the parents that were thinking like, oh, man, I can't believe she brought out the plastic cutlery, uh, I bet there were just as many moms that were so relieved.
2: You know, more. There were more moms that were relieved and told me what a great time they had. And... Yeah, I mean, I had fun, and I didn't have to think about the dishes, and I had mm. didn't have to think about washing an extra wine glass because so-and-so didn't have one, and I, I didn't think about any of that. I had such a great time.
0: Awesome. And okay. that's
2: living life on purpose. I right. purposefully put out plastic because I didn't want to be cleaning dishes. I didn't want to be spending the night making sure everybody was— I know. Had a glass and had—you know, I didn't want to do that. No. I want to fully enjoy myself.
0: Love it. Okay. So
2: I talk about how shame manifests itself physically. So this is the next Mm. one where I ask you, when you're lying in bed at night, what is keeping you up? What Mm. kind of lists are you making? Mm -hmm. And are they necessary? Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Are you stressing after dinner because the kids need that bath every night? Are you stressing because people are coming over and the house has to be pristine? right? So all the ways that we that we act as perfectionists, all the ways in which we put all these I shoulds onto ourselves that are not really expectations of anybody else but
0: ourselves. So then the next step is to explore in what ways your shame manifests itself externally. Um, and you write that you know do you judge the clothes that other people wear is it because you feel shameful about your body and therefore you do not feel comfortable wearing the types of things you are judging um you say you used to judge people for taking up space yes uh absolutely i i used to get really upset when people
2: took up more space than 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 i allowed myself to um that whole business of trying to disappear into the background, mm-hmm. uh, with that comes along a need to make yourself smaller.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: A need to sit with your legs as closed as you can mm-hmm. and to cross your arms over your lap. And to, for me, I would hunch my shoulders and I would just make myself so small, as small as I could at 280 pounds.
0: Um, and that would also be the way that you would express your shame physically.
2: Yes, that would be absolutely to another way, the way yeah. we sit um, yeah,
0: the way we show up in the world every oh, day. So, so how do you project your shame externally? Externally, and then what's the next step?
2: Yeah, so the next step is to change the conversation, mm-hmm. and part of this is our internal conversation, how we speak to ourselves, and some of this is the outward conversation, and this is something that I don't talk about in that post that you're that you're looking at. Um, the way we talk about others. To each other, right? So in some cases, um, I feel like I'm transported back to high school where women are about each other and talking behind each other's backs. Mm -hmm. And I find myself constantly just pulling away from that. That's not something that I try not to take part in. Um, But it's hard
0: sometimes. Right, it's so hard sometimes not to judge other people, and it feels like a way of relating and commiserating, and that's where it can get seductive. Yep, because (laughs) you feel like you're a part of a tribe. Then, yes, if you're both like talking about this other thing, like we're not that, and and so that's where, yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, they talk
0: about how it's like a you know it's a trick we use for bonding. And so, what are yeah. other tricks instead that we can use for bonding, like maybe figuring out more about each other? yeah um,
2: I think I think that I have found a great group of women in the fitness industry, and yeah. you know we like to commiserate over our similarities, mm-hmm. you know when we talk about everything under the sun and how you're not alone and and so I would encourage everybody out there to to try to find a different way of bonding with with other women. Um, because the other part of this is that this, this way that we talk about other people to bond, it's also a way to make ourselves feel a little better. And that part of our brain that judges others is doubly hard on ourselves and judges us. Mm-hmm. And so we spend all our time thinking, I'm not worthy, I'm not this, I'm not that. But if we can shut down that part of our brain completely, then that shame and that guilt will slowly dissipate
0: it's so powerful and I, and i think about all the times that i've been called out for being critical towards my husband and and i'm not even really aware of it because mm-hmm. i've been so judgmental towards myself yep and that when i'm in a better place with myself i'm just so much just such a better partner and everyone else does so much better right Mm -hmm. i think that moms really need to own the power that they have within their home that we we set the bar it's like always it's not no surprise i feel like after i have my monthly mom group with jennifer waldberger then the next morning sabrina's always such a delight that's no surprise. She didn't go to the mom group meeting, but like I'm in a different place. And so she meets me there.
2: Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So
0: thank you so much for coming on. For listeners in the LA area and also just listeners who want to learn more about Selena, uh, go to swimtoselena.com. She has her list of classes up. You can also go to her uh, nutrition and fitness blog and personal blog Um selenawillows.com. Thank you so much for coming on and and bearing with my uh, laryngitis. (laughs) I had so much fun, Ellie. It was absolute pleasure. Okay, everybody. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, itunes.com backslash Atomic Moms. You can go to our website, atomicmoms.com to stream the episode I've been having so much fun talking with you all on social media. Go to our Facebook page, just search Atomic Moms, Twitter and Instagram at Atomic Moms. And until next week, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, rock on, Atomic Moms.